Um, Trevor, great job tonight. Thank you. That verse, uh, powerful. Seth, Jesse, Johnny, um, that music. I, many of you have heard this from me before, but it's always amazing. You can tell when the Spirit's at work, when everything seems to flow together, when the message matches, when there's strength in the verse. Um, and today I just feeling overwhelmed by that, which for me, coming here and having to be, you know, the guest speaker, so to speak, it's always nice when I know that uh, if at any time I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm good, Seth, you can come back up here, we'd all enjoy that, right? <laughs> Seth's like, don't do that to me, man. <laughs> but uh, today we're going to veer off the path a little bit. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time in the Beatitudes, and Nate's been taking us through that, but Today, I wanted to separate a little bit from that, and we're going to spend some time talking about the great idea of redemption and relationship. My wife, as many of you guys know, works for the Union Gospel Mission, and they do many wonderful things, and I think we always associate it with them helping the homeless community, but about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was introduced to something that they do that just blew my mind, and it's called the New Life Fellowship. And as part of the New Life Fellowship, it takes people who've been down and out and on the streets and at the brink of everything, and it helps recreate them. It teaches them about God, teaches them about what he can do and how he can reconstruct their lives. And it doesn't start with, hey, this is a new life we start now. No, it starts with rebuilding what they've broken. And at the end of that time, about 18 months, they come together for a celebration. First time Mary Beth put it on my calendar, I was like, what am I doing here? Why am I going? I sit there and you listen to these words and you listen to what they speak and these people are vulnerable. They talk about losing their children. They talk about being on death's door from drugs and alcohol. They talk about having careers that had promise and then they had nothing. And they tell you their life's story. And they finish it and they say, but God has changed things. Because these are the mentors I have in my life. And these are the people he's put in my life. And this is the love I have in my life. And I'm rebuilding that relationship with my children. Or I hope to one day be able to speak to my parents again. And at the end of it all, there's the loudest celebration for each person you could imagine. And the first time I heard it, I I took a step back. And I was like, what is going on here? Didn't you just hear what this person has done? Like, do you really think that they can change who they are? Because they have done some pretty horrific things. Then I started to pay attention. Those same people who were given the cheers, they're the ones who graduated the program. They're the ones who came back because these people needed help and support. They knew how hard it was going to be after that point. They knew how hard it was going to be for them to change, and they celebrated them knowing where they were at. Celebration has nothing to do with where they were, but who they will become. There's power. There's power in celebration. There's power in renewal. There's power in relationship. And today we're going to take a little time to look at that. I want to spend some time really just celebrating what the Beatitudes are. See, Jesus set the foundation, a philosophical foundation with the Beatitudes. And he said, 
poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the meek, there's promise, right? But that's hard for us to kind of fathom and understand. And so what he did is then he took that same message, that philosophical message, and he says, hey, listen, let me teach you something else. So he puts it in a parable form. And he says this, maybe you can understand this. Let me give you a story. Today, we're going to spend some time in one of these stories. A story that many of us will understand. We've heard it over and over. And sometimes I think we've heard it so much that we've become callous to it. But some of us are going to hear this story. And it's going to be a call to action. A call to return. Maybe it's a call to break those binding chains that we placed on ourselves. It's a call to celebrate, to celebrate what Christ has done for us, but more importantly, what Christ is and will do for others. So my challenge to each of us today is to use this time as a time of self-discovery. Excuse me. I'm a little dry mouth. So it's a time of self-discovery, a time for us, thank you, to sit and understand who we are in God and who God is for each person. A time for us to look in the mirror and look at our own faces as we learn to understand the prodigal sons. So if you can turn with me to to Luke, sorry, chapter 15, verse 11. In the Bibles in the pews there, we're going to be on page 740. We'll go 11 through 24. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, decided his pro- he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a servant, to a citizen of that country. He sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Sorry. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son asked him, or the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He is lost. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The request of the younger son to split that estate. There's power and sadness in that statement. Those simple words told his father, I would be better off if you were dead. I would be better off without my father, without my family, without this home, and without the ideals that you put forth. Wow. You imagine hearing that from your son. And I'm sure the father went through great turmoil. And I'm sure he was broken. But he knew his son. And he knew the only thing he could do at that point was provide him with the freedom he looked for. And so he splits the inheritance and he gives it to his son. See, the son always thought the grass is greener on the other side of that wall. Something's better for me out there than what I have here. There's freedom out there that I, that I want. There's some place out there where I want to be. And he lived a lavish life with that money. The wild parties, the extravagant women. Anything he wanted, he did, and he lived it to, his, to the fullest. I mean, the Kardashians are keeping up with this guy, right? The, but something happens. Just as foolish as that original statement to split the inheritance is the foolishness that he didn't monitor that money. And it's gone. Not only is his money gone, but a famine hits the country. And that same lifestyle, all those same friends that he built, they're gone. And he's left alone and quiet and destitute. And he starts to think, what can I do to survive? And he hires himself out as a servant. And as he's feeding these pigs, these carob pods, he sits there longing. This young man who had been lavish in everything that he did, extravagant in who he was, is longing. And what's he longing for? Just enough food to get through the day. I just need to survive. And he he ponders and he thinks and he goes, you know what? There's only one answer to this and I have to go home. So he begins the journey. We can only imagine what that journey is like because he's already told his father he's dead to him. And he says he doesn't need them, but he's got to make this right somehow. He needs to be able to survive somehow. So he starts the journey and he walks and he goes, okay, how am I going to do this? Okay, I got to think of what I'm going to say. All right, dad, I've messed up. I'm sorry. Please just let me be a servant. No, that's, that's not going to work. It's not enough. He's never going to understand. I need to make him understand that I know what I've done. So he continues on. And he walks. And he talks to himself. And he goes, Father, 
I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you, and I am not worthy to be your son. Please just let me be a servant in your household. Let me rest in the shadow of your home. And he says, that's it. That's what I have to say, and that's what I have to tell him, because he'll understand. He'll get that I know what I've done. And he continues on, reciting it over and over to himself making sure he gets the words just right. He's got to get the emotion just right. But the smells start to come, become familiar. And as the smells become familiar, he starts to make out his home in the, in the outskirts, and his feet slow down. Because suddenly he, suddenly he realizes that there's a chance this won't work. Suddenly he realizes that there's a chance that this could be his last day. So the step's slow, and his hands get clammy, and he can't breathe, and his mouth starts to get all cottony, and he thinks about turning around, and as he thinks about turning around, he looks out, and he sees somebody charging at him, and he's got to make a decision. Do I turn and run, or do I just accept the fate that I've been given? So he stops, and he closes his eyes, and he clenches his fist. And he decides that if this is his last day, then it's worth it because of all he's done. And as he clenches his fist, he feels it. And it's not hateful words or damning rhetoric, and it is not stones being thrown at him. It's his father's embrace and a kiss. And tears roll down his face, and he slowly just begins to release all of that that's been inside him. And he turns to his father and says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And before he can say anything else, his father takes his finger and sets it on his lips because his father knows him. The father knows his heart. And he turns to his servants. And his father says, today we celebrate. Because my son has returned. Go, fetch him clothing. Fetch him sandals. Fetch him a ring. See, there's power in those statements. That robe, that robe presented the fact that that son was righteous again in his father's eyes. And with that ring, he was given authority. Authority as a member of that family. And then he takes it a step further. The father goes, listen, I'm going to show the world. Get the fattened calf. That fattened calf would have fed the entire village. And that's what its intent was. This, my friends, was a celebration. A celebration because the father knew where his son had been. There's no doubt that that father spent days, spent days just sitting, looking out to the horizon, longing just to see that little bit of his son, to hear word of what was going on, hopes that he would return. But his son, his own self-righteousness, couldn't forgive himself. 
You see, this, nothing, it, it wasn't an instant get better, right? We have to understand that this, this is a relationship building process. And the father knew that. The father knew what needed to happen. So he ran. He opened the door. He said, I'm here for you. Let's build this together. And this would be a great story. A great story of redemption, and it is. And I think a lot of times the problem is we hear this story. And we walk away at this point and we're like, wow, that was great. That was great. The father forgave the son. And God forgives us. And God forgives me. And I'm going to celebrate the fact that God forgives me. But see, there's more to this. This is one of three parables presented together. And, and Jesus presents them to two groups of people at the same time. To the first, the sinners and the tax collectors who have surrounded him. And to the second is a group of Pharisees and teachers, of church leaders. People who have committed their entire life to making sure they did everything written in the book of law. In the first parable, we learn of a shepherd who has lost one of his hundred sheep. And he goes out and he finds him. And he brings him home and there is celebration. And in the second, we learn of a woman who has lost coin, a coin. And when she finds it, she calls all her friends and there is celebration. But Jesus takes this third parable and flips it on us. Because when the sun comes home, there's celebration. There's more. There's an elder son. And in that elder son, there's a warning for all of us. So let's continue on with this parable as we look at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because his, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The, other, the older brother didn't get it. He had sat. He had watched his father. He had talked to his father. He had walked by his father day in and day out. His father looked out that window at the horizon. Just longing for that peace of his brother. 
but he was so caught up in trying to do what was right that he didn't see it. He didn't notice it. He was so caught in doing everything just perfect. And so we come to this point where he can't seem to reconcile his father's forgiveness with his brother's actions because everything in him says that if you act like this, you can't be near God. If you act like this, you can't return home. The father rejoices in what is and what's to come and and the older son gets lost in what has happened. He can't see the future from the present. He has this need to feel justified. He has this need to feel self-righteous. See, the brothers were one and the same. The only difference between the two is one needed his treasure now and one needed to show how good he was to get his treasure later. But both of them were self-righteous in who they were. And then the older son sits and rests outside. And he rests. And he stews. And he watches. And he stares across the fence. And stares at the celebration going on. And we can only imagine the words that are coming through his mouth as he speaks to himself. Probably not so quietly. And he says, why are we celebrating him? Don't I deserve more? Have you not seen what I've done? I follow every rule. Everything written in this book, I follow it. But I get nothing. Not a goat. Not a party. I'm not responsible for your past choices. I'm not the responsible party here. But I get left out and you celebrate him. Maybe we take it a step further. Maybe we truly look at it and we go, I tithe, but I I still live day to day. I pray, but I don't receive the blessing that I asked for. Don't I deserve it? Have you not seen what I've done? And again, the father comes out to the son because he opens the door. And he says to the son, You don't get it. You don't understand. It's never been about the things that you do. It's always been about the relationship. And you have always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. And today we have a chance to rejoice because that same relationship is being given to your brother. The Pharisees and teachers, uh, even many of us, can probably relate to the older brother. The Pharisees and teachers, they, they would have justified his behavior. The younger brother had messed up. He had gone way too far. And truthfully, we sit here and we do this. We sit there and we go... Yeah, that's forgivable, but oh man. I mean, 
Can you really overcome that? Or we sit there and we wait and we go, okay, I, 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 see, I see that you're saying that you're changing and you're saying that your lifestyle is different, but I need to see it first and then we can talk about it. See, a lot of us want to see a complete transformation. We're either here or here, but there's a giant journey in between, and that's what the Father's teaching us. That the celebration is in that journey, is in that journey home, because that's the hardest trip we can make. Because our hands get clammy. Because we start to worry about what happens. What happens when I have to admit to you that I have messed up? When I'm not good enough, what happens? What do you think of me when I'm not worthy to be up here anymore? Do you still celebrate with me? I imagine Jesus looking up after telling these stories and looking between the, same, the two crowds and go, I hope you understand now that you are one in the same Each looked at each other as a problem. The sinners, the tax collectors, they looked at the Pharisees and they're like, guys, you are buzzkills. Like, you have made everything not fun. There's too many rules, there's too many regulations. You've lost track of who God is. And the Pharisees and the teachers, they're, they're looking over at the sinners and at the tax collectors and they're going... Seriously, guys, you are just a deterrent. Your actions, you're either, you were unclean, and truthfully, you're probably still unclean, and you have no right even being near God or his teachers or his prophets. But Jesus has a response. And his response is simple. He looks at the tax collectors, he looks at the sinners and says, there is hope. There is hope for those that are poor in spirit. And there is hope for those who mourn. And there is hope for those who have been made meek. And there are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness. And that's not the righteousness that you as man have. It's only the righteousness that God will provide you. And then he turns to the Pharisees and he turns to the teachers and he says, you, (laughs) don't you see? The one who's been lost all along is the one who thought that he was already found. Don't you see that you've allowed yourselves to separate from the relationship? Allow yourselves to be weak. Allow yourselves to be open and forgiving Allow yourselves to be transparent and vulnerable because that's where the relationship lies. See, we find ourselves in each of those two categories, right? Many of us are the sinners and tax collectors, right? We're big and we're bold. We break rules. We fight restraints. And when we sin, oh, we sin and we've got stories to tell you. But we've also had that point 
where we had to be vulnerable and broken and scared. But you know about that? Sometimes it's easier to only do it once because we develop into that older brother, right? We forget what it was like to be broken and vulnerable. We forget what it was like to feel that celebration because we're so scared that if we just step out of line that much, if we just step out that much, we'll go back again because we've been told we've got to be perfect. Don't say that word. Don't do that. Don't look that way. And some of us, we're the Pharisees and the teachers. We've never really stepped out of line. We've always been there and we've always been close. We like the rules. We like structure because it's safe. But because of that, we get so caught up in the minute details that we forget what it was like to truly live in the relationship. See, this is the truth of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. The ring will be placed upon their finger and authority granted. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted because they will be embraced. Embraced to a point where they can release. And blessed are those who are humble or brought meek because they will inherit the earth. Their sonship will be renewed. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. They will be robed in righteousness. Their soul refreshed. So who are you? Who am I? Maybe, maybe in all this, you're neither the younger brother or the older brother. Maybe you're still on that journey. And you're on the walk, and you're scared, and you're beaten, and you're broken, and you don't know what to do next. But all you want to do is rest in that shadow of home. You want that freedom. You want that hope. God's reaching out. He understands the journey's not easy and it's not something you can do on your own and he will run to you and he will embrace you and he will kiss you and there will be release. Or are you the younger brother walking toward God in hopes of reconciliation? Or the older brother silently trying to look the part? Make sure your buttons are just right. You've got the right clothes. You know the right words. You've learned the right verses. But you've forgotten what the relationship was all about. Here's the great thing. No matter where you are on that journey, 
no matter who you are on that journey. God's coming for you. He's reaching out for you. He's reaching out for reconciliation, for renewal. He's reaching out for a rebirth and rejoicing. He's reaching out for the sinners. And he's reaching out for the saints. And he's reaching out for you. That's, that's the story of the Beatitudes. That's, that's the story that Jesus told to the prodigal, of the prodigal sons. A story of rejoice, of renewal, and relationship. What great power there is in that. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I know I've gotten lost on my journey. And I am thankful that you recognize our weakness. That you recognize our strengths. Lord, Lord, I think back to the verses that Trevor spoke today and how powerful it was that even Paul, who we look up to, Lord, understood that his weakness had purpose and his strength was in you. He understood the idea of that relationship and the necessity of it, Lord. Lord, I pray for each of us today and I pray for myself that we we can rejoice. That we can rejoice with each person. Not in who, understanding who they were, Lord, and not enforcing them on who they'll become, but understanding who they are in the moment, Lord, and the grace and the power you have to create who they will be. And only that's a relationship. Father, you are mighty and strong, and we are thankful for all that you do. In your name we pray. Amen.